0: Alright guys, this is the Gun Dog Notebook episode 20. Uh this is Darrell Smith here. You know, we got a good one this to this uh this episode here. We got AJ DeRosa from Project Upland on here. And guys, when I tell you AJ spit nothing but knowledge, nothing but the truth, and what's great is we have very, very, very like-minded attitudes um about hunting, and the conversation went kind of deep, man. It went real deep, and I want you guys to, uh, you know, take some time to really pay attention and learn what it is AJ, AJ is, um, you know, talking about. This is, this one here is, is a classic. I, I don't know if you can declare classics, but Ruger, go over here. Thank you, sir. Go, go over here. You're making a lot of noise on the podcast now. So... um you know, I don't know if you can declare a classic, but, you know, this one, this one was a hit, man. And I just want to thank AJ DeRosa. I want to thank Jerry Improvento again. Um, you know, I can't, I can't be grateful enough for the things that have been coming my way with this podcast. Also, to my new uh, Patreon subscribers. Hey, guys i definitely appreciate y'all for uh subscribing and again that's that's more incentive to keep this podcast going um to make sure that rss feeds get taken care of um that money it goes to the quality of the podcast and trying to develop this as best as i can like i said pretty soon i want to start doing some giveaways for my patreon subscribers so i'll let you guys know that soon also I know something that y'all don't know. i seen something that y'all didn't see coming from Project Upland in the very near future. And it was dope. It was awesome. So you you might want to be on the lookout for that too. Um, I've also been doing some reading going back to the Wild Rose Way and really taking some time to see that process through, the training process, also i'm reading a book uh called quail and the quail dog by ozark ripley so those are my two um two points of information that i've kind of been going over and reviewing this season um you know just guys the season's over you know we ended it on an on a damn good pheasant shoot coming from south fork hunting preserve the uh, infamous kitchen sink shoot and uh You know, I got to say I'm proud of my guy. I'm proud of my dog. So if I learned anything from the end of this season, it's to go back and review stuff. Go back to the yard. You know, go back to the basics and really see the process through. You know, so I'm not going to hold you guys too long because I know this is a good podcast and it was a pretty long one as well um just remember guys you know I do this for y'all I'm doing it for myself and we're all doing it for the dogs to make sure that you know they're they're out here to 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 hunt I mean they are that's what they're for you know they're also our companions they're also our buddies I mean these guys bring more joy and more life to any and everything that we do on a normal day basis so man I just I I want to leak a little bit, but I'm not going to. I'm going to just let you guys just kind of get into the podcast with AJ because there's so, so, so much, uh, just so much good conversation and good content in this particular one. Um, AJ's also got some some new films coming up. I mean, quite a few of them. He's, uh, he's going to drop the hammer. He's definitely going to drop the hammer on this one. I'm also going to do some writing for Project Upland as well. Um, he, he asked me if I could contribute, and I absolutely took him up on that offer. So, you know, these are these are things coming up soon. Just pay attention to Project Upland. Pay attention to the Gun Dog Notebook, guys. Okay, guys, this is the Gun Dog Notebook podcast. Today, 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 we got um. Mr. The absolute incredible AJ DeRosa from Project Upland Podcast. And I just want to say first and foremost, thank you again, AJ. You just put me onto something that I was not expecting. So I'll go over that in the um the intro and things like that. But how are you today, man? Good, good. I can't complain. Okay. So <laughs> I gotta get myself composed because Hey, get all my, my, my energies right. And uh I I I really need to make it a a, a special point to thank Jerry uh Improvento who introduced me to you. Jerry's been a great guy and I I just wanna publicly shout Jerry out again. If I don't text him tonight and, and blow his phone up, thank you again. So AJ, let's talk about it, man. Like, how did you uh, how did you get your start in gun dogs hunting? Start from the beginning.
1: Oh well, uh, I mean, hunting itself. I, I grew up in a family that hunted. My grandfather did, my father did, uh, my older brother. Um, they were deer hunters. Um, you know, they would occasionally bird hunt. My father, when I was really young, had a had an American Brittany. But um, you know, my memories of hunting over that dog are are kind of very very, uh, vague, you know, at best, but, um, I did shoot birds over that dog. Um, you know, I don't, again, can't really put all the pieces together. I think my father could tell those stories a little better than I could. Right. But, um, yeah, so, so that's kind of where I got my start. Um, I didn't, I didn't really take off in, in bird hunting until I was much older. Um, I spent, you know, most of my teens and twenties and, and whatnot, um, hunting deer, um, that was really kind of my thing for a long time. I yes. grew up just outside of Boston, so um, there's no grouse. Um, some woodcock, um, for sure. If you could find some covers or whatnot, they definitely migrate through there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but grouse, grouse were gone um, when I was a kid. You'd see them in southern New Hampshire, just over the Massachusetts line, and that's where I, I grew up bird hunting. But um, you know, I, I didn't. I don't think. The, I think the last time I saw a grouse in eastern massachusetts is 15 years ago so wow. um yeah that, that wasn't really a thing so it's kind of you know an opportunity thing is what it really came down to and uh deer hunting the archery scene um was was kind of really up and coming um when i was in my early 20s and that's just kind of where i excelled and and uh, the only other thing i didn't really in feathers was uh turkey hunt you know yeah. spring came along and I certainly I've always had a tendency towards feathers I won't lie so yeah. I certainly um, enjoy turkey hunting more than I enjoy deer hunting and I enjoy grouse and woodcock hunting more than I enjoy turkey hunting so um, so feathers kind of dominate <laughs> right my my uh, my scale of, of likes and dislikes
0: <laughs> okay okay um well I am going to admittedly say I have never shot a deer as a hunter does that make me like not a Not a real hunter or something like that? (laughs) No, no, it
1: it certainly doesn't. You know, it's, it's, it's like, to me, it's the equivalent of somebody, you know, who, let's say, plays basketball for a living and says, hey, I've never played football or I've never played baseball. It's just, it's a complete different you know, activity, it's a complete different pursuit, um, it's a different beast, a different animal. Yeah. Um, do they all require woodsmanship? Yes, but different types of woodsmanship, you know, um, different skill sets, uh, different tools, different mindsets, um, different understanding of habitats. I mean, it's, it's really just kind of a, you know, it's, it's comparing, you know, apples to oranges at the end of the day. Right, 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 right.
0: Um, and I want to make sure that we kind of touch on the subject of understanding of habitat and I you got to bear with me man I kind of bounce around a little bit but all right um so I'm reading this book called quail and the quail dog by Ozark Ripley and uh it was referred to me by Lily Milner who I had on my podcast before so how do you um like how important how important is it for you to really understand woodsmanship? Um, How do you go about learning that? Just, you know, give me your thoughts on that because that's definitely a huge part of hunting over dogs is really knowing your game, knowing the environment, and knowing their activities.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I've hunted grouse and woodcock in in a lot of states, uh, New England and uh, the upper Midwest. um, Mm -hmm. And habitat's very different from both locations, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm by no means an expert at certainly identifying grouse habitat because it's, um, grouse habitat's complex, you know, it's not as simple as young forest as many of us, you know, preach, um, but we preach about young forest because there's not enough of it, especially here in New England, um, but it's not that cut and dry, uh, woodcock tends to be a little more cut and dry, um, you know, as far as, um, um just really liking that one to three year kind of growth. Uh they like soft soil, anything they can get earthworms in, um, that kind of stuff. So so that's pretty easy. But grouse or um, you know, I, I'd say even as being a hardcore grouse hunter, it's, it's still a hit or miss. Um you know, you, you see it all the time, like perfect examples this past season it was very dry in the beginning of the season and, and I know a lot of people that went out there and were like, Oh, I can't find any birds, it's a horrible year um and whatnot and i hunted a lot, a lot of beaver pods and i found a lot of birds and i was like this is one of the best years i've ever hunted yeah, and um right um that's just simple it's it's really no different than you know I, I like to give a lot of examples related to deer hunting because i would say my skill set in deer hunting is far superior to my skill set in bird hunting yeah um and You know, one of the things people don't realize about deer hunting is one of the years that you get a really good crop of, like, acorns and stuff like that, deer are harder to hunt because they're not isolated to specific areas for food. Um, They can literally go and eat everywhere. And, you know, grouse hunting uh, is very much that same thing. Um, Their food can be spread out. Um, This year we had a lot of fruit um, in the woods, and, I mean, grouse were kind of very distributed. Um, so it could make it spotty at some times and when you had a situation where there was not in a lot of water water in the beginning of the season, never mind the fact that the dogs couldn't scent good. Um, if you got near water, um it you know gave some kind of high densities of population, so so it made it easy. But but understanding habitat is an evolving thing. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and I do challenge everybody, you know, read about it, uh listen to different people's theories about it, but but be fluid. You know, don't be afraid to. It's never black and white. Um, mm-hmm. It changes, um, and, it, and there's a lot of factors, um, and the only way we get better at it is to kind of understand all that.
2: Okay. Um,
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: Uh, oh, no, no. That's all. That's yeah. oh, I can't read that this about any time. Uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> A significant amount of time so <laughs> well look try to keep it as short and sweet as i can
0: no nah, man hey look feel free to run it as much as you can man because like this whole podcast um and i and i do want to talk about some of your interests and why you started uh project upland but you know aj man you are i i consider anybody that's on on the podcast a friend and You've not only shared a lot of very, very, very good information with me, you've opened yourself to be uh, empathetic to my, I guess, novice amateur approach at this. And you're offering a whole new uh, way to understand, you know, bird dogs and gun dogs and things like that. And just, you've done so in a way that really, really attracts newcomers. And when we spoke earlier, um, you, you mentioned something about that. So I wanted to get you to, to, I guess I wanted to ask you about, like, how did you even think to start Project Upland? And and give me your thoughts on just the newcomer's perspective and everything you got there.
1: Um, I mean, Project Upland is, is, is honestly a bit of a, an accident, you know. Um, it's one of those things that uh, just kind of, you know, happened, and (laughs) I kept kind of going down the rabbit hole, and (laughs) here I am. So, um, you know, I can't say that there's any clear reason why. I mean, I've tried to make my mark, per se, in the hunting industry for well over a decade. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm 36 years old now, and I was in my early 20s when I started writing and pursuing this, and Mm -hmm. um, when I say that I hit every roadblock along the way, uh, I'm sure there's tons of people listening to this that can relate to it and feel it and um i have been denied from every single major publication minor publication um, or anything else that um uh, people just told me my ideas were stupid um my stuff was irrelevant um everything from my my urban deer hunting experiences <laughs> um, yeah all the way up to even my work in um upland um you know, people would be shocked to see the amount of a resistance, I guess, that there has been to my work, um, in the commercial space and, and whatnot, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been persistence, it's, it's been, you know, Project Upland was birthed out of the idea that nobody wanted to accept my ideas, so I just kept at it, I kept doing it myself, yes. Yeah, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, and, um, you know, it's, uh, I've attracted a lot of like-minded people, um, and the Project Upland community's made up of that now, um, you know, we, we started by recruiting uh, writers, people, you know, that, that could really start to um, expand the knowledge, teach people, you know, kind of greater things. And then we started typing, uh, you know, photographers, filmmakers, um, all these different things to really just grow um, what Project Upland is supposed to be, which is not about me. Um, it's supposed to be about our culture. It's supposed to celebrate... Um, you know, the tradition of upland hunting, the future of upland hunting, which is one of the most important things that we're focused on, um, and, and, making sure that we have a place in modern society, um, and that we have a place in the future. So, um, that's how Project Upland, you know, is evolved. It evolves out of necessity, Um, in both my own personal needs as well as it's evolving now in the needs of um, trying to secure um, kind of the future of hunting. Um, So a big thing that we're actually involved in is is what's called R3, which means Recruit, Retain, Reactivate, um, which is a huge um, national initiative now to make sure that We grow the future of hunting numbers because we are experiencing a massive decline. So, Project Upland has been kind of a a testing ground, a breeding ground for this R three initiative to expand um, the importance of you know first generation hunters. So, uh, the recent Upland Bird Survey that we did uh, revealed that we had a thirty percent following of first generation hunters, Um, and to understand the significance of that. Um, as a society, we've experienced over a 40 percent and this number might not be completely accurate, but essentially over a 40 percent decline in the population of hunters over the last uh, two decades. So um, wow, yeah, that,
0: that be, sounds about right. I think I've heard that somewhere That yeah. sounds about right.
1: Yeah, so for us to be trying to, to, to turn that around um, and trying to bring people in, um and also kind of just creating um um an evolved culture of, of what upland hunting is um what it's becoming make it fluid you know um make it um engaging um inspiring um kind of all these things so so that's um that's a big focus and and because of that um project upland is certainly geared towards novices and intermediates um yeah do we you know dabble in some more advanced stuff now and again uh sure but um one of the things that that we're adamant about is uh you know there's there's unless it's hard science unless it's a real backed up science there's no definitives um and and we like to keep um kind of our our open discussion in our community as as a fluid discussion yeah um and kind of evolve with what makes sense and and what you know what doesn't and, and and um, just really get people talking and, and get people understanding and people um, understanding of each other, um, yeah. and to engage in kind of the positive um, future um, for our culture.
0: Absolutely, yo. This is—I is, I think I might change the the podcast to the Gun Dog Notebook uh, theory or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yo, that was that was beautiful what you said. So let me ask you this then: What do you? like when we when when folks go into upland hunting and I think there's this very romanticized idea about what what it looks like, right so I think the the typical ideal is you've got this double barrel shotgun, whether it's over under side by side, you got this beautiful setter or beautiful pointer, or hell if you like crazy like me, you didn't got yourself a flushing dog um. And I think there's this very romanticized ideal from the grouse woods and then, you know, Southern folks like me, I'm down here in Georgia, you know, you've got your traditional uh, quail plantations and things like that. Like, how do you think that fits into the modern, or I guess even more specific, the uh, contemporary version of upland hunting?
1: Um, you know... Upland hunting is certainly a nostalgic, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is one of the most, probably the most nostalgic of um, all kind of hunting pursuits. Um, so it's, it's, there's certainly a place for um, kind of revival, remembrance, tradition, um, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you, you know, the, the place in the future for that is, is you know, celebrating a culture. Um, you know, we're celebrating the past, um, you know, like we did, uh, we did the one film uh, a couple years ago now or last year called, uh, um, Upland Icon. It was about, uh, Walter Lesser, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, author of the real Rhyme and setter. And he was the guy that brought George Bird Evans to the gates, um, mm-hmm. as it's called. Um, and shooting a film about him was kind of, you know, surreal, you know, to, yeah, be I believe somebody it. Somebody of. Of such legendary status, but um, preserving that past is a very important part of preserve of, of preserving ourselves in the future. Um, we need to we need to know where we came from to know where we're going. I guess mm-hmm. is what you could say. And you know, we as a culture tend to really um, like, like we really just focus ourselves a lot in the past, in the sense that like we just like. We're really excited about old things, and and this is something that, in a way, kind of rubs me the wrong way, because I think, as a culture, we often forget that there are some amazingly talented people right now, right. Um, and we should take a lesson from the important people that we've seen in the past, or you know the, the great writers, photographers, dog trainers, whatever they might be, um, and realize that there's some people right in front of us, Um, you know, right now. And and for me, for Project Upland, um, part of our creative vision is to make sure that we start to celebrate the stories that are happening right in front of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and there's a lesson to be learned about our past, preserving our past, to show that right now, like, we can preserve what's happening right now in film, in art, in, in photography, in writing, um, that's going to be hugely important 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Um, so, so for me, that, that that's kind of a big focus, and it's kind of a tough question because I do feel like we do get caught up in the past too much sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, we get stuck in a Ripley painting, and we have a tough time uh, pulling ourselves out of it. And, I, and I'm a daydreamer. I yeah. mean, let, let's face it, I'm a creative guy. We're all daydreamers. So mm-hmm. um, so I get stuck in a Ripley painting probably worse than anybody. So, so um, <laughs> I, I
0: get it. You know, I Trust me, I get it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, but for me, that's, you know, I look at a guy like, uh, an example I like to use is uh, Jay Dowd. Um, he is just such a talented artist. Uh, his, his work is just so different mm-hmm. um, than anything that's ever come. And um, there's been some strange resistance, and I won't get into the details, with major publications about kind of his existence or these more modern stories of people that are carrying on a Age-old tradition, right. and when I say there is a nostalgic person in the world, I mean he is an old soul. He is he when he steps out into the woods, that's the closest to walking into a Ripley painting there's ever been. Right. So uh, I mean, he is as nostalgic as they come. I mean, he smokes a pipe, he runs setters, and I mean, he is mm-hmm. just to the core something that would have walked out of the woods 30 50 years ago No, um, but yet you know you, his work is so modern it's so amazing it's so incredible um and as a community that's the type of stuff that we should be celebrating Absolutely, he he is he is unbelie he's an unbelievable artist and, and we should be celebrating that you know and and as time goes on sure that's going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger but you know i i think some of us don't like spend too much time in the past and don't look at what's right in front of them right now. So, right. Right.
0: No, I mean, that's so true, man. And, you know, I have my own perspectives and I feel like this podcast is about to get real, real, real intense. So bear with me, but I, I have my own perspective on, um, you know, the past and traditions that rest within upland hunting and hunting over gun dogs. You know, just to to talk about the scary history that nobody wants to ever talk about. You know, I'm black man, and black folks ran gun dogs back then, and back in the day, actually, hell, we were the most prized, you know, folks. And what's what's interesting is the research that I've been doing on that aspect of hunting, and then the the research that I pair with that that go with the traditions of hunting. So your Ripley paintings. You know, your old school gun dog techniques. All of it is harmonious, man. All of it is so harmonious, but yet in you know, I, I think we, you know, those folks within my culture, we've got to get past the idea of, oh, this this is only what a certain group of people do, or this isn't common to us. But then I think as a whole, we've got to understand that, you know, it's, it's folks like me, it's folks like you, it's folks that like, you know, everybody else that runs a podcast, I don't want to just get the name dropping because I could, but we're the guys that have to continue the traditions for whatever reason that we have them. You see what I'm saying? For whatever reason that we got into hunting over dogs and developing, developing a relationship to it. You know, we're the ones that are going to continue the legacy. And I and I actually personally want to see if I can reach out to Jay Dowd and see if I can get him on here, too. But, I mean, man, you talk about traditions and you talking about carry on the legacy. That's what I'm trying to do with my artwork in addition to this podcast, you know. And I think there's a talent and I think there is a necessity to see that. And I think we should probably take a more global perspective to to, to stuff. You, when you, I think you guys had a feature Andre Caviglia um, out in Italy. You know, it, you know, hunting is such a global thing now. It's so interesting. Like we we've got to open up our perspectives nowadays because it's such a global thing. When I when I when I see him uh, on YouTube and. He's an Italian. He literally literally doesn't speak English. Um, And I reached out to him to see if I can get him on here. But when I look at his films, it doesn't look American. But it looks like, honestly, new age Italian gun dog hunting. It does. And then when I look at Project Upland things, I look at it. It's very American. You see what I'm saying? But it's also very creative, very artistic, and it honors the dog. And, and I just want to personally thank you for that, man. Seriously.
1: Well, uh, thank you. I mean, <laughs> you, you, hit, you hit on something kind of hugely important there, and that's um, you know what I call progressive demographics. And I know um, the hunting community being dominantly conservative hates the word progressive in general, but right. <laughs> um, I'm going to freely use it. <laughs> um, the, the, the future of hunting, um, or, or I should say, the future with hunting involved in the world um, is going to involve a very progressive, um, you know, generations, very Mm -hmm. progressive demographics. Um, It's not going to be what people know it as today or know it as 20, 30 years ago. Um, And that's the reality. Um, If you look at the studies coming out from uh, the NSSF um, talking about what's going on in culture or even the U.S. fisheries and wildlife um, about what's happening to hunting, one of the biggest fears is um, essentially a world where urban and suburban America or developed America does not accept hunting in the future. Right. Um, and the reality is for mainstream hunting, um, for the outdoor channel, the sportsman channel, Pursuit, whatever it might be, um, that's a reality. Their viewership is dominantly rural communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what... You know, because that's what it's all been built around, and they're going to continue to cater towards that because that's how they've made money. That's how they're going to make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's there's a place in the future for all of that, but the reality of growing, you know, growing hunting um, to bring hunting into the future to make it where there's a place in the future for it, um, it has to involve progressive demographics. And for us with Project Upland, um, I think the exact number was sixty uh, percent of our audience lives in developed areas. We only have a 40% rural following, um, which is a huge number. I mean, we can contribute a lot from being, um, you know, a New England-dominated brand when we first started, certainly had a contribution to it. Um, My personal background came from urban deer hunting. Um, That could have had a certain amount of influence on it. Um, There's there's some things that we can certainly kind of point out. But the reality is is that we're proving with Project Upland um, that there can be a future that urban developed areas accept hunting in the world, right. um, and, and a lot of people just have this like doom and gloom about it, like it's just not going to be a thing. But the reality is, is that you know, and again, I hate using the I use the word progressive. Now I'm going to use the word that's even like more disgusting. We we have to have a bipartisanship, future. <laughs> <laughs> it like, like it, it can't. You know, I don't I don't want to go into a gun club. And listen to people rant about politics, whether it's Trump or Hillary or whoever it might be. I just want to go there because I like—I want to go break some place. Yeah. Because I, I like bird hunting. Right. You know, I don't—I don't want to talk to the next guy about my political beliefs or, or whatever it might be. And the problem with part of our society, or our, I shouldn't say society, with our culture is that it's dominated by this—this this very loud political voice that has gotten us into a lot of trouble yep. because what happens is, is, is people, you know, don't, don't want to do, you know, these things, they don't want to get involved in things. Um, perfect example is, you know, and I, and I'm going to take the gloves off here. I am, Run. I am a registered Democrat. Run. I'm a liberal, you know, but I'm I I'm a proud gun owner. You know, I, I, I love guns. I don't want the world to take away my guns, but you know what? I'm never going to be in a member of the NRA because the NRA proactively says that I'm the enemy. Yeah. It proactively demonizes me. And as long as it proactively demonizes me, it's not a bipartisan effort. It's not something I want to be involved in. You know, so yeah. so that's an important thing is that we need to remember that we need to accept everybody from all types of backgrounds. Whether it's the vegan that suddenly converted to being a hunter, which trust me happens. We we are mm-hmm. in contact with these people. We, you know, these people reach out to Project Upland like mm-hmm. like that's a world that exists. You know, there's there's people you know from Atlanta who are a teacher who's a black guy who has a podcast. Yeah. You know, there, there there's just there's so many different people that want to feel welcomed. Um, and we need to build a culture that does that. And you know what? It just gets down to there's you know there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to different to do things. And, you know, one of the things we recently um, started writing about um, behind the scenes, we have a series of articles on a couple of our platforms, not just Project Upland, coming out about um, coming out about mentoring. Okay. Um, and mentoring is a, is a huge part of kind of the future of hunting. Um, but mentoring is like, right now it's so like 2D mm-hmm. like not 3D the way that we approach it is oh take people hunting but we don't give people who mentor the tools to understand what they're getting involved in we don't educate people to understand hey you know the person that you might end up mentoring might be a liberal right. they might they might have been a vegan or they might be a vegetarian they might be somebody who doesn't want um you know the same things that you want you know it comes down to the things like um you know, with, with a gun dog, you know, everybody's own, you know, everybody's gun dog, their own gun dog is the best gun dog ever.
2: Oh, and yeah. that's
1: great. Everybody should feel that about their own dog. But the reality is, is that it's just because everybody has different things that satisfy them, different things they want. So, you know, mentoring should be not an approach of what the mentor um, thinks is right in hunting or their motivations of why they hunt. A mentor should be a selfless act where those people try to give the skills. For the person that they're mentoring, you know, that they say, hey, you know, um, what I might want out of this is um, I want to get the most meat I can possibly get for my refrigerator. Right. And, 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 you know, th- that's, that's an example I often use in the turkey community. You know, there's a huge resistance towards this, this fanning or reaping community in turkey hunting. And so many people, well, that's not sporting. That's not, you know, that's not right and everything else. Well, the fact of the matter is that I'm an American... And I have a legal right to go buy a hunting license and put as much meat in my freezer as I possibly want. And if that means for me to kill the most birds I can the fastest possible way I can, which is the least amount of effort it offers, for me to go out and reap a bird and kill bird after bird and put them in my refrigerator, well, it's legal. And mm-hmm. not in all states, I guess, but it's legal in, in states where it's legal. Well, then you shouldn't have anything to say about it because right. it's, it's for different reasons. It's the same reason. Well, when I go into the you know the supermarket, I might decide to buy the organic chicken. And the next guy decides to buy the free range chicken, and the next guy decides to buy the chemical filled chicken. It's, it's a personal choice for Americans,
2: right?
1: You know, so so we need to adapt and understand that. We can't be one-sided or or very like hard-lined. You know, the only things we should be hard-lined about our community is safety and the right. story. <laughs> you know, that, like, the, like, hey. don't shoot anybody. Handle a gun safely. Care about your dog. <laughs> you know, like treat your dog right. And and, and I think we all agree. You know, uh, you know, try to kill an animal in the cleanest, fastest possible way. And mm-hmm. the story.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> you AJ. <know? laughs> you, you you hit the nail on the head, man. Like. Again, we're all concerned with safety. And, and Lord, we done reeled off the politics. But <laughs> I think, if, and, and, and I'm going to parallel this. I think if we all took the approaches that our dogs take to us, dealing with us crazy humans, after we let them out the kennel or wake up in the morning or whatever it is, you have to take people for where they are and who they are and try your damnedest to be sure... That you are being the best possible person that you can on an everyday basis, and and understand that this community, it, it, we we've got to be open to change. Now that is that that's change with respect to the past. You see what I'm saying, but 100%. Yeah, you know
2: you,
1: you got to have a reference on the past to look to the future.
0: Absolutely, if you don't know, you know where you coming from. Like, you know, I'm a member of Cap um, Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, and uh, you know, one of the things that we had to know, you know, going in was, you know, a man who stands for nothing falls for anything, and when you don't know what you stand for. And, and by stand for, like, is it hurting anybody else? If it is, that's a problem. But when you stand for something that is literally going to help your future, the sky is the limit. You know, the, the sky is absolutely the limit, man. And, you know, you talk about progressive demographics, man. What I love, and I'm an artist as well. And and so a lot of the things was crazy is the parallels between the gun dog community and the art community are very similar. You got a lot of older folks trying to maintain certain traditions and not be open to change, but then you've got a lot of younger folks like, yo, let me in. I'm not trying to take away what you're doing. I'm trying to keep it going. Right. You know, and and that's why I mean everything that you said was just spot on the head, man, and. You know, as far as NRA, like you said, if it's not, it, it's not about being a gun owner. It has nothing to do with being a gun owner. It's about, okay, how are we trying to help people and how are we trying to address things in a, in a very common sense way that makes sense so people stop getting hurt yeah. or, or, or killed? I mean, just to be blunt about it <laughs> at this point. So... You know, AJ, I I appreciate everything that you said, man. And, you know, I want the rest of my listeners to take that approach because what I do like is the fact that you and I are taking the stance that we're taking and trying to continue to advance the future. You know, trying to take what we know and advance it. What I also do love about the Gundog community is I've literally received nothing but love and welcome as I've come in. Like I've literally been on a whole plantation and folks in 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 my demographic like the word plantation is a problem anyway. <laughs> like it's right. just it's a problem any damn way. But you know, we get here, and I mean, I got folks from Old South Hunting Retriever Club, man. I've got folks, you know, all kind of gun dog trainers. I've got you. I've got Jerry Emberman. People that literally don't look like me that have welcomed me in the community, and also, honestly, we have a common denominator. It's the dogs. At the end of the day, it's the dogs, and it's un- and it's trying to consider the fact that yo, what we do. Whatever we got going going on in our personal everyday lives has nothing to do with it with what it's like being in them woods. Yeah, well, I
2: think
1: I think the other important thing to point out there is, uh, you know, I'm adamant about this because I did a lot of dogless hunting. Is that there's a whole community out here too that we need to remember as upland hunters that are dogless hunters. Yeah. Um, Many of us refer to heathens, but, um, I stand up with the utmost respect spending most of my life as a heathen. Um, so, um, you, you know, like up here, we, you call it a partridge, you know, the difference between a partridge and a grouse is, uh, a grouse was flying a partridge wasn't. Okay. Um, but the reality is is that when it comes to fights for conservation, for hunters numbers, um, for all these different things, is uh, those people have a place in our community and our culture just as important yep. as the people that want to have their birds pointed or flushed or whatever it might be by a dog. Um, and I'm very adamant to, to point that out, that those people are, you know, our community is welcoming towards it. Um, I think given the right circumstances, many people will end up as gun dog owners, but um, you know, i lived in an apartment you know for most of my life um to you know just about two years ago that i moved into my house that i have now and i was able to get a gun um but before that a gun dog wasn't realistic in my life but it didn't change the fact that i wanted to be a bird hunter Mm -hmm. you know that i wanted to get out there and i wanted to hunt birds and i did you know i would walk miles for miles and and, and flush grouse and and woodcock and i'd shoot them and that's the way i did it and you know i have a great friend down in connecticut um who's suddenly taken a fancy towards woodcock hunting and, um, they get a great flight down there and he goes out there now and and he's normally a diehard deer hunter. He goes out during woodcock season and walks around and kicks up, you know, woodcock and shoots woodcock.
2: Um,
1: you know, so it's important to remember that that part of our community is important. Um, most people, you know, if, if you take, um, you know, people from the North country, I would bet you 75% or greater, uh, shot their first you know, grouse on the ground <laughs> or in a tree, Yeah. Um, you know, so, so there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's, it's a gateway. It's an entry. It's, it's, it's a thing. And Hey, if, if your thing is that you hop in your truck after you get out of work and you take the long way home and you pop some grouse out in the road, cause you're going to throw them in the pot when you get home and eat dinner, by all means, go for it and do right. it. Right. You know, like, like it's legal. It, it's, 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 it's a thing. You can do it. Um, and you know what? like, my only thing is if you're, if you're, whether you're gonna pop a grouse on the ground or you're gonna shoot it in the sky or you're gonna have it pointed, flushed, whatever, just, just do something to give back to that animal. More than just buying a hunting license. Join something like the Rough Grouse Society, Pheasants Forever. Uh, sage grouse initiative whatever organization it might be that's relevant to the game that you're engaging in Mm -hmm. Um, i'm I'm an adamant believer that our hunting licenses and the taxes on our gear is not enough Mm -hmm. you know so so that's one of my things i think that all of us should certainly step up and take that extra mile into into the relevance, you know, of, of where you might be. I'm not expecting somebody, you know, in Georgia. Which, by the way, I've actually went down and filmed grouse hunting in Georgia before. Oh my god! Um,
0: How would you do that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to after the interview. I have to show you the film. But uh, I saw some birds down there. Heard birds drumming. Um, we were down there on the Rough Grouse Society camp tour last year. It was pretty cool. Um, but. You know, yeah. Do, do, do we expect somebody in 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 Georgia to join the rough crowd side? No, but I mean, there's great organizations like Quail's Forever. You know, Quail I'm sorry, Quail Forever that um, are great organizations. I, I mean, and, and and there there's an impact there, and we need to be a louder voice um, in those kind of aspects to preserve our future.
0: Right. Absolutely, and I much appreciate it, man. Like I really appreciate you saying that because. You know, in Georgia, we do have grouse here, number one. I know we do. I can go on um, – I use the um, Cornell Ornithology uh, Lab to find – and every, every so often I'll poke around to see if we have any grouse here, you know, that are recorded, and we do have that here. But like you said, go join an organization that's relevant to the game. My biggest thing for 2018 was joining Quail Forever. Quail is – if I had to pick a choice uh, game bird – Quail is my thing, you know, um, and, and that's what I trained my dog on. That's what I trained Ruger on, you know, when we were first getting started. I would get pin birds, and, and so he knows the scent of a quail. And pheasants are now my new thing because I take, I'm, I'm planning on taking yearly trips to Kansas. And we do pheasant shoots and things things like that. But, you know, just having that understanding and, and like you said, gaining access to a community that's relevant to the game bird that you uh that you're looking for that's huge man so much appreciated so now let me let, let's talk about that a little bit you're from boston you're up in the northeast and i got family from boston been up there love it to death but i never i didn't think of boston as an area for hunting so what is it like i guess what are the differences between hunting woodcock and hunting grouse you say the woodcock you know generally honors the dog a little bit correct me if i'm wrong
1: yeah yeah i mean we touched base about this uh kind of, you know kind of recently me and you on the phone and um you know the great woodcock are an entry level bird um and i don't mean an entry level bird as in it's a novice bird and only novice you should hunt it um i prefer hunting woodcock um, sure. because as Earl the pearl Johnson mm-hmm. um, would say up at Pine Ridge grouse camp, they honor the dogs. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and, and the reality of that um, is that they're, they're dog friendly. They're user friendly bird. And there are a lot of birds out there. that are dog friendly. Um, grouse are not one of those birds. Um, there is, there is like, um, and I think kind of the point, uh, you know, you're kind of trying to kind of get here is, um, I so, so from my background, in deer hunting um I came from a community um in a world that if people saw a deer uh or their friends saw a deer somewhere they would like sit under the same tree for like 10 years and wait for a deer to come back just like really really bad stubborn um lack of advancement um never challenging the norm um you know like it's it's like I kind of look at it as like You know, Some people in the world are just okay with saying this is the way it's done, and some people need to understand why it's the way it's done. I'm one of those people that want to know why, and because of that, because I've always challenged, and I don't say challenged things, but always dissected things, and wanted to see the reasonings, um, I've adapted. So so one of the things um, that I kind of find unusual, specifically in the grouse community, is that um, people want their dogs... To point grouse like their woodcock, right. you know, like they want them to have this perfect point, and they walk up on the bird, and the bird flushes, and they shoot it, and the bird goes down, and the dog stays steady right to the retrieve, and, and trust me, I, I would love that moment too. So I'm not I'm not downing that moment in any way. I mean, it's literally it's amazing when it happens, but but and and I can understand that some people are chasing that, you know, you know, kind of chasing that unicorn all the time, um, and I get it, but. As a culture, I've definitely noticed that we we kind of push everybody in that direction. And what I find is that, um, you know, grouse don't want to behave that way. And and we're we're asking a bird. We're not asking like this is the funny thing. We all take it is that we're trying to train our dog to get to that point. The reality is we're asking the wild animal, the grouse, to behave in a manner that it does not want to behave in.
2: Right. You know,
1: so sure, are there gonna be incidences where a grouse is maybe a little more um, you know, less skittish than the last grouse and it's gonna be a little more friendly to to make the situation happen sure might there just be the perfect situation of cover where that bird gets pinned, and it might not be able to fly in one direction so it forces it to sit still sure that might happen all of those things do happen it's not like it's a complete unicorn but it's pretty close to a unicorn right um Yeah. So, so for, for me, being somebody, again, like with with my urban background, with with the book I did, The Urban Deer Complex, at the time it was very cutting edge. It was, it was very, you know, it, it challenged the norm. Um, you know, it, it questioned the way we approach deer hunting, about how we adapt, you know, how we adapted to animal behavior and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's the same concept. of So for me, grouse hunting has become, you know, obviously I want to make my dog the best I can. But I have to be a tool for my dog, too. I have to adapt to how my dog handles that growth. And and, and whether you like it or not, like, you're stuck with that dog. You know, like, yeah, sure, maybe there's some people that that have it in them to maybe sell a dog and get a new dog. I'm not one of those people. My dog's part of my family. I love my dog. You know, like, he's he's, he's my son, you know? (laughs) Yeah, hey! so, 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 So the thing is, is that, You know, he handles grouse a very specific way. And and sure, mind you, we've only had our first season, so I'm still learning what that way is. He's still learning what that is. You know, we're, we're both learning that. But I know now that when my dog gets on a grouse and he starts repositioning, and creeping and repointing you know i'm not walking up behind my dog as soon as i know that it's a grouse and not a woodcock i am going wide around my dog and i'm getting far in front of my dog because i hope that that bird gets squashed between me and my dog you know and that's a bit of woodsmanship too it's 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 like mm-hmm. turkey hunting you know turkey hunting you know this debate comes up all the time we've been doing a lot of writing with our new series morning thunder about it um you know what kills more birds um you know when it comes to turkey hunting is it calling or woodsmanship? Woodsmanship kills more birds, you you know, and and that that also applies to upland hunting. That also applies to grouse hunting. So if you understand where a grouse is trying to go, you understand if you've been in that terrain before, you understand what that cover looks like. You can now adapt to how your dog's handling that bird to increase the chances of killing that that bird. And for me, for for my family, for for what, you know, me and my fiance do, um, you know, we eat all wild game. And, you know, as a result, I want to kill as many grouse and woodcock as I can possibly kill in a season. Because I, I tell you, grouse, I mean, like, grouse are not that big, and woodcock are, woodcock are certainly not that big. Yeah. So, so so it takes a lot of birds to put in your freezer to get that kind of poultry, you know, mix, and, instead of just eating venison and bear all year, you know? Right. So, um so, so for me, it becomes a, a literally like I, my dog's a tool and, 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 me and him are a team and being part of a team is adapting to each other. I need to adapt to his behavior. I have to try to make, you know, him the best dog he can be. And then I need to adapt to what he is, right. you know? So, so, so to me, that that's the kind of a huge thing that, that I hope kind of the world looks at. And, and, you know, me and you talked about this and, and one of the, I think why I think you have a very valid perspective on it is that you're a teacher and, you know, you kind of mentioned this and, and and I think it's it's, a hugely important point is not all people learn the same way, you know? So, so, um, you know, understanding that, that, that kind of everything is different. Every dog's different. Like, like yeah, sure, griffon I have a griffon. Griffons are known for certain types of behaviors, setters are known for certain types of behaviors. GSPs are you know, you could go down the list. Dogs breeds are known for certain things. But I'll tell you right now, if you hunt over a half a dozen different Griffons or a half a dozen different fetters, there are distinctively different things about each of those dogs Absolutely. because they have distinct personalities, you know, and, 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 it's, maybe it's nature versus nurture, you know, who knows, but the point is, is that they're all different personality animals. And as a handler, you need to adapt to that, yep. you know, because that's it. It's your dog, it's your animal. And you need to help him be the most successful animal it possibly can be in a hunting situation
0: um dot 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 damn <laughs> like yo you i mean you just literally spilled everything that i feel like needs to be said about having a gun dog especially your first one um and learning their their habits to add to what you were saying aj um you know i'm You know, this is the second season that Ruger and I have had hunting, and I'm having a lot of pro trainers come out, and they're like, oh, your dog is great, and this and that. You want to know what's crazy? Not only is it important to understand woodsmanship, which I'm there for you with because Georgia got a whole hell of a lot of woods that you got to learn this. But at the same time, I think it goes down to understanding, understanding your dog. And in, in, in the characteristics of the breed, like you said. So, honestly, I've taken the approach of going back to the old guys. As you say, honor in the past. I want to go and reread the articles from Delmar Smith, from Robert Milner, from Mike Stewart, to all these OGs in the game. You know, all of these guys that they learned their dog. Um damn what the uh, the guy that did the English setter the uh, English pointers um Bob is it Bob Whaley I think it's Bob Whaley and uh, just a couple of just the guys that did it first you see what I'm saying as far as documented the guys that did it first because there there is merit to what these guys are doing and based on what I'm saying what based on what you're saying I'm understanding that is, all right, we know these grouse are going to act a certain type of way, and I've never hunted grouse before, but I'm going off what you said. We know these grouse are going to hunt a, so, a, a uh, certain type of way. Instead of looking for a pretty picture from your dog, you need to go ahead and start adjusting for the circumstances. You know, it, it seems to me, especially those those guys that have pointers, It's always nice to have your dog look a certain type of way, and and I want a pointer. I don't have one, but I can imagine to see your dog perform, you know, for what you got it for, that's great, but is that realistic? Is that realistic 100% of the time? And if it's not, that bird still needs to, it still needs to be harvested you know and at the same time like you, your fiance and my own fiance I, I we have a lot of the same ideals like there needs to be there needs to be game brought back home so if i'm going to you know if i'm going to eat you know 100% quail or whatever the case may be or however much we harvest you've got to adapt to the the techniques of this dog and at the same time I got a lab labs are gonna only they're gonna operate in a certain fashion and I don't think people spend enough time really understanding the habits of a dog because I also feel like it's oh so easy to throw an e-collar on a dog I'm not against e-collars either but I feel like it sometimes without learning the dog and these are these old guys the older guys that are that have written books and the information is out there, I think what they're trying to say is, yo, learn your dog. The technology will be there. That's fine. But if you don't know your dog, you're not going to have a dog that operates. My dog is just as much of a tool as he is my friend. Like you say, that's my son. And so getting out there and spending the time you know, with these dogs and understanding their habits, man. Yes, I am a teacher, I'm an art teacher, which is probably crazy enough, probably one of the hardest subjects to teach. Because I've got it under I've got to understand your learning style, number one, but then I also have to understand your creative style, the way in which you solve problems. <laughs> and it's the same thing with dogs. And when we, when I get to writing that article for you, and and that will be done this week, please believe it will. But I want to address that, yo, you're not, you know, you can look at so many different paintings and expect someone to reproduce that painting, but in no way, form, or fashion is that painting going to be executed the same way as the person that did it the first time. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. So we want these dogs to perform the same way. Well, when I get done leaving my classroom at 3.30, I'm hitting the house at 4.30, and I'm. I, it's, it's still class time for me. My dog is at heel, and I need to understand, yo, what's the best way that my dog is learning? What works for him? What's going to keep him happy? What's going to keep him wanting to work for me as a team? You see what I'm saying?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, it comes it comes down to, um, the, the, you know, the reality of kind of the you know what you started out with, just naming all kind of these big names in training is, um, you know, as a as a culture, sometimes we all kind of think that there's only one right way to train a dog, and just by listing the name of greats of of famous trainers and um, whatnot, it comes down to one thing: is that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yep. Um, because they're all right. Yep. And they're not all wrong, you know, so, so uh, and, and that experience, and, and how it's done is fluid. And, and in the case between, you know, dog and handler, um, the right answer is not just on the dog. You know, it's also on the handler. It's what, what are you capable of a hand, handler? What, what do you have to commit? What do you understand as a style of training that you can actually apply to your dog? You know, like, 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 like that's important. Just as important as it is that you know your dog uh, might learn and you know might learn things faster than the next dog, or slower, mm-hmm. or he might learn one skill faster than he did a different skill. My dog is a natural t- retriever. He's got a soft mouth. Right. He, he he brings grouse back to me. I, I like like with with little to no effort on my part, and and, I, and you know I'm I'm thankful for that because. I just didn't expect it to go that way, you know, but yeah. you know, you know, so, so, so my thing is I just don't touch it. We, we do like no retrieving <laughs> training, you know, other than, you know, yeah, when I, when I do steady training with him and stuff, I still haven't bring the birds back to me and whatnot, but nevertheless, like, like that's done. So some people are going to have to go down that retrieving road. I didn't have to, right. you, you know, and, and, you know, making my dog steady. Um, that's something that I want to do, you know, um, that's something I want to create in my dog. Um, I don't think it's required. Um, as long as people are understanding kind of the safety aspect of when to shoot, when not to shoot, um, not shooting low, um, kind of all those things, um, you know, sure. There's certainly debates that a steady dog has advantages to such things as your dog doesn't wear out as fast makes perfect sense but the reality is is that not all of us have all of the time to be professional dog trainers so so kind of the crazy thing is is that we often look to professional trainers um and try to achieve something that's essentially unobtainable because we don't have that much time in our lives um you, you know, so so you do have to adapt. You have to take, you know, kind of stuff from many different playbooks that works for you, works for your dog. It's it's it's, it's really an à la carte kind of approach to training. But but uh, you, you know, that's the reality. And, and even certain things in training, um, click you know, for different people. It's like, you know, um, if you're presenting a math problem to your student, um, you know, the way you explain it to one student might be completely different than the next student for them to get it, as well as maybe one person has to be a little more hands-on than the next whatnot. You know, for me, one of the the big things, like, you know, kind of like clicking moments is I had a a friend of mine, Alex Brooks, who's got Griffons as well, and and he said to me, you know, um, is your dog – hunting for you or hunting for himself yep. and that to me was a very like something clicked in my brain for that and and I was like hey that, that's a good question is he hunting for himself or is he hunting for me um and you know he said it's important that your dog is hunting for you not for himself um and i know that because I, i'm very positive with my dog um you know like when he like runs off okay let's say i let my dog up back to, you go to the bathroom and he decides he's not coming in and he's pissing me off it happens we've all been there right. um when i'm shouting for him to come in when he comes in the last thing I'm going to do is reprimand that dog. Right. I'm literally I'm going to give him the good boy, the the whatever because he's happy. He he is a genuinely excited. My dog is just like the happiest person ever. So anyway,
0: so, <laughs> so look, like, meet he, my dog is, then. <laughs> he,
1: yeah, he, he is genuinely excited to to have that kind of happiness go on. And, and and for me, I feel like for my dog, it's evolved for him that bird hunting shirt. Is he in it for himself? Does he love it? Does he get crazy when he sees me? You know, pick up his e-collar or, or you know, get get my lead or whatever. Yeah, he goes nuts because he knows what's going to happen because he's so excited to do it. But at the end of the day, for him, the experience is for both of us. You know, so so he wants that. He wants to please. He wants to hunt for me, but he also wants to hunt for himself. So so you know, there's certain aspects that I've been thinking about training um, that I think are hugely important. Um, you, you know and it's different for all of us you know maybe some people listen to this podcast being like your dog hunts for yourself that means nothing to me and right. that's completely fine it doesn't have to be you know that person's light bulb moment but they might have a light bulb moment that was groundbreaking and changing for them when it came to training that I hear it and I like I'm like what you know like and that's just the reality you mm-hmm. know of everything the dog's different we're different we're, it's it's a lot of variables Yeah. Um, you know and, 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 and that's And that's, you know, it comes down to one fundamental thing. You got a dog for whatever reasons went on in your head. And that's all you got to worry about. Yeah. You know, like, 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 it's not a competition. You know, it's, 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 it's the the word sport needs to be removed from what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, like it is, it is not a sport it is not a sport we are going out to kill things to eat them to hunt with our animals to have a greater connection with the land to participate in the oldest human tradition on earth yeah so, so there's nothing there's nothing sports oriented about that i'm not going out to do better than the next guy i'm not going out to keep a score i'm not going out you know to do all of these things that 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 you know People somehow, you know, they think that, you know, it's like the deer community. I get to shoot the biggest buck to be the coolest guy. Like, like that's not a thing. There's no place for that. Right. You know, like, like it's, it's personal goals. It's personal goals and happiness. You know, what makes you happy? Why, why'd you get that dog? Why'd you get that breed? You got, you did those things because that's what you like because that's who you are. You right. know, it's in, and, and more than ever, Upland needs to become a safe space for that. You know, like great. Like, you know, I, I kind of learned to, a great lesson from, um, Fritz Heller. Um, I know Fritz he runs, Heller. Yeah. I don't know yeah, him, but I heard of him. labs up in, in Michigan. Yeah. And, um, you know, running labs for grouse is kind of, you know, uh, borderline sacrilegious. Yeah. Uh, but he is so good at it. And, and, and better, um, labs are so, flushing dogs are so good at it. He doesn't just have labs, but you know, flushers are such good grouse dogs, but yet, it's an entire part of the grouse community that we overlook. Yep. And, and and it's amazing to me that that happens, you know, um, and, and, and myself being one of those people, like thinking, why in the world would you ever get a flusher? Like if I was a duck hunter, I'd get a lab, you know, that's what I always thought. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, I like, I, you know, I've talked to Fritz, Fritz done some writing for us. Um, I've watched Fritz's videos. Um, and I mean, they're just, they're monsters. They're incredible at what they do, you know. And, and that's and that's that that speaks volumes to how you know. There's not just one right way. Um, there's many different ways. And you know what? For some people, being physically fit and chasing flushers through the woods is just not their thing. And that's cool, right? You know, just like I have a griffon. Griffons are known for staying close. You know, they don't range far. My dog ranges at most hundred yards and that's an extreme like at the most he's he's 50 to 75 yards away from me at all times and for me i absolutely love setters Uh, like i love watching setters hunt. i think it's exciting i think like you know this is kind of a funny thing to say but i think like setters out of the box you know like like as in when i say out of the box it's like you buy a new Mm -hmm. item and you unbox it (laughs) when that thing comes out of the box and you unbox it um, standard issue, um, you know, no updates. Um, <laughs> they are just a really naturally good hunter. You yeah. don't have to necessarily be a phenomenal trainer to have a good setter. There are some dogs that require much better participation from their handler, um, than setters do. I mean, that's what it gets down to. Setters yeah. are just good dogs. You can suck at training and your setter's going to probably <laughs> still be a good bird dog if yeah. it came from a kind of a good, you know, bloodline or all Um,
0: What's, what's just to interrupt you, what's funny is just a sidebar, I almost bought a setter before my lab. Literally. Like <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, no. I I mean and they're and they're unbelievable dogs. And and but for me, I, I have like again, I love woodcock hunting and one thing I love about setters is when you hear that dog go on point, you know, if there's beeper going off and it's you know in many cases, two to 300 yards away with a fetter. Um, And you're running through the woods. That's awesome. That's exciting. But the reality of being a grouse hunter is that grouse is not there when you get there. (laughs) Right. Right. So so for me, I, I, yeah, I want to do some great woodcock shooting. You know, I really enjoy the gentleman aspect of woodcock shooting, but the bigger reality is that I, I am a grouse hunter. I'm a grouse hunter by default. And, I want to kill a lot of grouse. I want to get out there, and I want me and my dog to do good on grouse, you know, and um, doing good on grouse is not a dog, and and, and this isn't, you know, I, let's disclaimer this, this is in my opinion. So, you know what, if you think I'm wrong, and you're listening to this podcast, that's good. You should think I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like, like I, I want my dog to be 50 yards away from me when a bird wild flushes so I can shoot it. That's right. what it comes down to. You know, so yeah. so, and that and that's just everybody's preference. Can you get a setter to stay in that range? You can, a hundred percent, can train a setter to do that. But Griffons naturally, by default, are going to stay close to you. Yep. That's one of the things that I love about Yeah. You know, that's 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 one of the primary reasons. Like I am a, a foot hunter. I am a a classic New Englander. Um, I grew up walking and flushing my own birds and putting a dog in the equation. Um, well, it's just a it's an early warning system is what it is you know so now i know that when my bird gets gets birdie well i know you know stuff's about to go down you know as before it was literally just a random flush so right
0: no i feel you man and you know it's crazy the way you feel about griffons and just having them you know as a close hunter the same feel, same way i feel about labs like i'm brother when i tell you i'm sold Oh, I will always have a lab because they're efficient. They do the job. They make sure the job is done and done well at that. But at the same time, he's a flushing dog. I'm a good shot. I'm not about to brag. I'm not trying to brag, but I hit birds when I hit birds. So, you know, when my dog flushes them, I know his body language and it's it's time to shoot. You know, and at the end of the day, I care, I care. You know a lot about how many birds I bring back. You know I don't want my the time spent you know hunting to be for naught. But again, I want to be able to work for the dog or work with the dog as well. You know, um, you know I've, I've heard of uh, Fritz Heller and a lot of his experiences, and I'm with it, man. I'm definitely with it, but I think a lot of hunters, man we got to get we we there needs to be consideration for the dog because you're not going to get I'm sorry I talk a lot of shit about german short hairs and I want a german sh- short hair is exactly why I talk a lot of shit about it um as crazy as that sounds but those dogs range bigger and more often than not have I heard that they're self hunters so if that's going to be the Consensus vote on it, you know. Just learn to adapt to that particular hunting style. I mean, but you know, at the end of the day, AJ, like I, not only if you come down to Georgia, please call me because I owe you a a a quail hunt. I do, but you know, I'm interested in seeing a griffon work because, again, the way that you're you're talking about it, you know your dog and you know its tendencies. That right there is enough to sell me on the on on the notion of what it is that you're doing. But you said your dog's name is Grim, right? Correct. Yep. Okay, Grim with two M's or one? One M. Okay, cool. What's that? Grim as
1: in Grim from Harry Potter.
0: (laughs) So you read Harry Potter books too?
1: Oh, dude, I am a diehard Harry Potter fan.
0: Oh, great! <laughs> well, then we're we're Kendra Spears too. I was I I personally think I would have been a <laughs> Slytherin you know uh, that, fan.
1: Uh, Ron of the Hunting Dog podcast is also a closet, Harry Potter. <laughs> when I was on his podcast, he admitted to having an entire, entire room with his wife.
0: Brother, I have all seven books. It's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> As my dog licks me in the face right now, it's fine. <laughs> Look, I'm going to tell you, I'm not a Gryffindor, brother. I'm a Slytherin. I'm all about the evil. I'm all about it. So
1: <laughs> I, 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 I'm definitely I'm definitely a, a Slytherin in the house. I'm Sabrina. <laughs> My fiance is a Ravenclaw, and
0: Grimm okay, she's fine is a too. Griffon,
1: then. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a Gryffindor, <laughs> and Marty, our other dog, is definitely a Slytherin.
0: <laughs> what? What is your other dog?
1: He's a Bichon Shih Tzu mix.
0: Okay, little um, bitty boy.
1: He weighs about 15 pounds, and he runs the house. <laughs> so, um, and you know, funny when we picked out Grim, um, I got Grimm out of Wildrum's kennel out in. Um, Wisconsin, a guy Ray Wolf from does uh, wild drums. I've seen um, I've seen their um, uh,
0: video stuff. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Very very talented photographer, videographer. Great guy. Um, great great dogs. Um, so when we went out there, we had uh, I think it was seven males to choose from, and um, Marty was about the same size as all of the puppies at the time, um, a little bigger but not by much, and um there were some that were just like overly aggressive that were trying to bully marty so that wasn't they were immediately you know kind of taken off the lift. so grim was the only dog that would get playful with marty marty would then attack him and grim would roll over submit to him but he'd be wagging his tail the whole time oh wow so there was other dogs that would submit to marty be scared to death. so Grim just thought it was, he would submit to Marty, but he thought it was so fun and was happy about it. So at the end, it came down to two dogs, um, and Grim ended up being the one, and their behavior from that day um, is still the behavior now. Grim weighs 65 pounds, Marty still weighs 15, actually he's a little heavier right now, he's a little bit on a diet, but um, he, he beats up Grim, and Grim still rolls over on his back, wags his tail. And lets Marty be rough with him, and they're best friends. And if they go to sleep, they curl up to each other. Like it's it's kind of a it's a great dynamic. So so Marty probably gets the most um, props and credit to choosing a really good dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, because uh, he has certainly become you know more than a part of the family. So.
0: Okay, I'm with it, man. Well, I uh, I'm I'm definitely here for it. I'm trying to convince my my lady to go ahead and let me get my second dog so y'all are, y'all are a dog ahead of me um, and
1: one, dog, one dog is enough for me at one time I mean there's there's just so many and I get why people get pl- you know many dogs but for me it's like um you know I, I try to train my dog um you know this time of year starting in the spring um, I try to train my dog at least 15 minutes a day. Right. And um, that's already a lot for me um, just because I do, because of project I plan, because of what I do for a living. Um, you know, it's funny. I think people think that all I do is hunt. And the harsh reality is I spend a lot of time watching other people hunt. So, yeah. um, <laughs> um, you know, me and my dog's time can be very limited. Um, my dog, unfortunately, is on the bench more than he gets to get out. Um, he's always on the road with me. He travels everywhere I go. Um, he's been to Georgia himself, uh, running through the woods. Yeah, um, you know, good he's travels all over the place with me. And um, But the, but the, again, we get out there and we're filming people. And most of the time, grips has got to stay in the truck for most of the time. And he might only get an hour or two hours down where I take him to get him out there. So so I feel bad for him sometimes in that aspect. So for me to get a second dog on top of that when I already feel like I don't have enough time to hunt him just seems kind of impossible for again the lifestyle, that's what it comes down to. Two years ago when I lived in an apartment and ran a nightclub in downtown Boston, there's no way I could have had a dog. You know, so um and now the reality I live in I can't have a dog. Me and my dog do get out there and hunt. I'm not acting like we don't. But you know, when the hunting season comes in, um, you know, the month of October um, we are filming almost every day of the entire month, and in, in between is when Grim gets the chance to roam. Um, it's actually unfortunately we had to chase Woodcock all the way down to Connecticut this year for me to get Grim to have an opportunity in flight birds, and we still didn't. The still the birds, you know, beat us. We got some stragglers when we got down there, but um, that's kind of the sad reality of 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 you know kind of what I do. And I'm by no means complaining because trust me. Watching hunting all day and filming hunting all day and editing hunting and talking about hunting and writing hunting is way better than having a nine to five. So I understand.
0: So Trust I, I'm me, I For my dog more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> I hey brother, I get it. So because I'm in a teaching, I'm a teacher, and you know my goal is to work myself up to being to being able to do this and you know work on paintings full time. So brother, I get it. Trust me, I get it. Um, well, that's cool though, man. So, and I don't want to hold too much of your time cause I'm already over an hour and Lord, I can talk to you all night. Um, this is what I wanted to bring up. Um, you particularly stated that, um, and, and you said the only way to do this correctly is that is to get a good dog or to get a gun dog yourself and to stumble through the experience. Um, that wasn't specifically quoted, but that's roundabout what you said. Tell me about how that's been going for you. So um, kind of the relevance of that is
1: um, Project Upland, again, is, is based on empowering people. Um, there's a certain part of our website called Confidential, which is still in the infancy stage. Um, and that word confidential is important because it's about having a confidential look a real look, uh, no smoke and mirrors look at what bringing on a dog means, what training a dog means, what um, what that experience is like. Um, when Project Upland started, I didn't have a dog, um, so um, I could hear plenty of other people's experiences about dogs, I saw other people training dogs, I learned a lot. Uh, I feel like I was more prepared than most people, you know, going into getting a dog and I certainly have a network around me that's much larger than most people um, to be able to reach out to, to be able to ask questions, to be able to link up with people um, and to help me through the process. But um, I'm a firm believer that novices teaching novices or novices sharing experiences with novices can often be one of the greatest tools in learning. Um, so gundog confidential is birthed out of that theory and it was my belief that in order for me to, um, help other people be able to take this path, to take up bird hunting, to take up getting their first dog, I had to go through the experience myself. Um, and, and, and that's why I got Grim. Um, and, and honestly, I wanted a dog too, so it's not like I just did it only because (laughs) this was the reason, but, um, so I wanted to be able to know what it was like to to, to fail, um, to experience disappointment, to do all of these things. And trust me, I have experienced so much, you know, disappointment, anxiety, frustration, um, all of those things going through. Me and Grim just had our first season together, um, and it was a huge process. So one of the big things we write about on Project Upland are firsthand experiences. Um, And we, we, you know, one of the articles I recently wrote up there is called uh, Gone With The Wind um and it's an article about how i went out with a bird dog you know without with grim my first day hunting grouse with him and my past experience was woodsmanship when it came to grouse hunting you know i always hunted grouse and approached grouse covers or hunted through grouse covers based on the best possible way i would have a shot and i'd never pay attention to the wind direction and that's what I did that day. I just went out and, you know, I, I, I took the high ground, came down through the high ground just the way I normally would, so I'd have good shooting lanes, you know, and, and whatnot, and, um, you know, I live in a very mountainous area, and um, the wind was going up, you know, was going down the mountain, it wasn't going up the mountain, so the wind was at me and Grim's back, so, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it, clear as day, here's this grouse standing in the ground. 20 yards in front of me, like, just looking at me like, oh, shit, and <laughs> Grim is between me and the grouse, and, you know, the wind's going in the opposite direction, so Grimm doesn't smell, you know, so Grim just keeps doing his thing, he keeps hunting, and, you know, that bird flushes, and Grim comes back around and flames on point where the bird just was, you know, and, and I remember just thinking of how much of an idiot I was, you yeah. know, um, and, and those, those basic things that somebody that's had multiple dogs or even has been through their first dog already. So many of these things are common sense, you know, like, but for novices, it's very important to have information that's based on something of another novice, because we're going to ask questions that intermediate or, or, uh, advanced hunters, advanced handlers, uh, don't think of, you know, like, like it's, it's the smallest of things that, like, just don't come into your mind as a question, as a as a, um, a theory of, you know, like, me and you talked about this the last time we were on the phone. I did not know, as well as you said you didn't know, mm-hmm. that you're not supposed to feed your dog before you go hunting.
0: Nope, had no idea. Where is
1: that written? Where is that written? Nope. Nowhere. <laughs> you know? So that's not common knowledge. I just happened to find out because somebody happened to casually mention it in a conversation I was having. And I remember being like wait a minute what you know like i'm not supposed to feed my dog in the morning before we go hunt like um you know and and essentially the science behind it um and i actually believe it was like a scott linden article that i ended up reading about it um and it's like if you put um you know kibbles in a sock and you like press that those kibbles against the sock that's the same thing that's happening to their intestine you know so if they're running
2: like crazy and they're hunting you can actually they can like rupture something Wow. You know, so so
1: but that's not common knowledge for novices yeah. And to me that's a major problem. You know, and, and that's the type of stuff that we need to and, you know, we need to put out there to make that first, you know, people don't have a place I'll tell you, there is more than enough dog training content on the internet to get lost for the rest of your life. There are so many rabbit holes you can run down that you will never find your way back to the surface ever again. And there's a lot of good information and in all of that. But the reality is there's no start here. There's no like, what do I do? Hey, basic rules, basic things to think about. Um, oh, by the way, don't feed your dog in
2: the morning. Right. You know, like, like, <laughs> yeah.
1: like, like that's, you know, that's the type of stuff that we need. So, so Project Upland is, is, is really being built, in this gundog confidential is being built on that model, that model of novice perspective. And I wanted to experience that myself. I wanted to know what it was like. I wanted, as the creative of Northwood's collective, the creative director, it was important that I understood the process. I needed to submerge myself into it, to understand it, as somebody who has to come up with creative ideas to to look at something to direct the vision of our editorial calendars or whatnot. So, so for me, I've had to go through it. Um, and, and it's, and, and it's an amazing experience. And for anybody who doesn't have a dog, who's thinking about getting a dog just just do it if it's, it's you won't trust me there'll be many of painful moments i mean i remember when grim was a puppy and when i was kennel training and he had diarrhea and it got all over me all over him i was like he was crying i was borderline crying. Like, crying i remember miserable moments but they're all worth it in the end you know like like it's, it's a difficult experience it's a trying experience it's an emotional experience it's a roller coaster um you know, and, and, and one of the things that profoundly sat with me was that I, I remember people always saying when I'd be out filming Project Upland films being like, you know, you get that amazing point and, you know, I get so excited about, you know, I get more excited about filming the perfect point um, and the perfect, you know, sequence of a bird getting shot and film more than I do shooting a bird. I, I just, for me, it's just so exciting. It's, 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 it's challenging. It's, 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 it's just, it's my passion. So... When I went out there, people would say, well, there's no experience like seeing your own dog point. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, you know, I hunted without a dog. It was just kind of like I brushed it off. And now, you know, I, I, we produced this film this past year called First Season, and it's about me and my dog's first season together. Mm-hmm. And it's about that kind of statement is that there's nothing like seeing your own dog point. Yep, and it's about the emotional roller coaster to getting to that moment. And for me, as a filmmaker, as somebody who's won film awards for for Upland Films, for me, it was about capturing it on film. It was about filming my dog go on point on a wild bird. You know, like like that was so important to me. And yeah. and, and I remember catching it. And and you know the irony of of the the rock solid point that I got, it was in Connecticut and it was filmed on a GoPro of all things. And you know, I'm somebody that films a $10,000 camera. So a GoPro is like a, you know, that's, you know, it's, right. it's just a sloppy way to do it, but it's just the way it happens. And you know, he locked on point, um, you know, this woodcock like three feet in front of his face. And I was coming up around him. I never even got a chance to shoot. My buddy Jesse did, um, And I remember going back and watching that footage and just like, I mean, borderline crime. You know, wow. of just being like, This is this is incredible. This is my dog. We have we have been together for, you know, well over a year, trained for this moment, worked towards this moment. We we, we ran at grouse in wrong wind directions that I screwed up. We we, we did all these things, yeah. you know, the wrong way. And then here we are in some unknown cover in Connecticut of all places. And I finally captured it on film. It wasn't the first wild bird he pointed near me. Um, in fact, I have some other points on film of him pointing birds, but nobody shot or anything like that. Um, and I actually the first rock solid point that I that he got on a woodcock. I, of course, missed the bird, and it was questionably one of the easiest shots that I've ever had on a woodcock, but that's just the way it goes, because that's, that's also part of that experience, that novice experience. Everybody's going to tell you that your dog's going to go on point on the easiest point ever, and you're going to miss that bird, and oh my God, is that true, because I did it. And maybe the hype up of everybody saying that's what destroyed it for me, but it happened. You know, and, and it was like wide open. There shouldn't even be that a woodcock, it was so wide open. And like, like yeah. I remember just, being equally shocked that there was a woodcock where it was, you know, and, and, and I missed that bird, you know, um, and, and sure, you know, we had a lot of grouse contacts through the season, um, plenty of grouse were killed over Grim this year, but, um, they were by no means a gentleman's kill. Yeah. Um, as many people say, Mr. Mr. Ruff is not a gentleman, <laughs> and the way we kill them is often not gentlemanly. So, um, you know, Grimm retrieved a lot of birds. He wild flushed a lot of birds. Uh, he repositioned on a lot of grouse. Um, and we shot a lot of grouse over him, but there was never that rock solid point. The birds were right on his nose. Uh, we only got that with Woodcock. And I expected that. I'm sure I'll have moments in my life where it happens otherwise, but um, you know, I expected that going into it. And, and again, this is his first season, but it's an incredible experience. So, so it comes back all to that statement is, is, you know, the only way, as a creative director that I could tell the right story and to give the information for the people that are coming up through this is if I went through the experience myself. Yep. Um, and, and that, and that's why I've done this. Um, and not again, not the only reason, but that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm going through this because, um, novices need something they can relate to. And, and the important thing too is a person in my position with project upland, um, I want to confidentially show people how bad I've been at it, mm-hmm. you know, because I want people to be empowered by that. I want people to know that it's okay to be bad at something. It's okay to ask for help from somebody else. It's okay to stumble your way through training a dog. It's okay that maybe your first dog's not your best gun dog. It's okay um, if it takes years to get your dog where where it is. It's okay that you... you might not think your dog's as good as the next guy's or 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 woman's or or whatever else but what's important is it's 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 your dog and 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 it's your experience and and enjoy it and and feel empowered by that because because if i'm the creative director of project upland if we can do 1.5 million views on our films in a year and i can put myself out there and say i'm bad at this I hope that that can inspire, if that inspires just one person. Mm -hmm. I always say that about all my work, all the people that work with me. If you inspire just one person to pick up this torch, to go into the future, one more person that wasn't going to own a gun dog, one more person that wasn't going to be a hunter, a turkey hunter, a deer hunter, whatever it did, you have made your time worthwhile. And that's hugely, hugely important.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, man. And you know just <laughs> AJ you spitting the bible here now don't don't get me started <laughs> you you spitting the bible here now so you know when you, when you sit here i think what you, what you're saying is take ownership of what it is that we're doing here in the gun dog world and by taking ownership make it you you know with project upland you've made it you as, and, and 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 my respect to you as an artist, because again, you sir have made it. You you have made it, AJ Derosa, and shout out to Nick Larson. I listen to him, Babylon, all the time. You know, for as, as podcast.
1: <laughs> well, I, it, ho- I hope everybody looks at Project Upland as a as not just the... But as a, as a creative bigger, like, I mean, we have some big films coming out that I didn't make. Andrea, who you talked about in Italy, he has two films coming out on Project Not Plan this year. Um, unbelievable filmmaker. Um, you got a taste of the film Revel in the first
0: tonight. Oh, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler freaking alert. <laughs> like, <laughs> yo, that video was awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't made by me. Um, that's another film that I didn't make. So this is going to be the first season of project upland where there is a flood of films I didn't make. In fact, there are, um, six separate filmmakers in this year's lineup. Yeah. So, um, which is, which is a huge expansion. And, 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 and to comment on that then for the greater community to hear, and this is important vision of project upland for Northwoods collective, which is, is the parent company. Um, And this comes from somebody who struggled in this industry, who got the door slammed on him more than once from big publishing houses that I'm sure they regret it now. Mm -hmm. But um, we're going to celebrate... All of the people that have talent out there, if you're a good photographer, if you have a natural artistic ability, if you're if you're an illustrator, if you're an animator, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a writer, if you're any of these things, Project
0: Upland is going to do the best to find you. (laughs) Yo, speak that truth now. Come on now. And we're, and we're going to help bring you up through it.
1: We're, we're not about A.J. DeRosa does it 50 different ways. We're about the community celebrating all the talent that's out there and letting everybody grow. There's enough space for all of us. And, and, and in fact, we, we have some bigger announcements, and I'm not going to get into the full details, but this will be kind of an exclusive first. Um, this coming year, we'll actually be announcing sponsoring a specific part of a film festival um for an upland film award that will be essentially the project upland film award yeah. um, because we're out to search for more filmmakers for better filmmakers to bring people up to get people exposed to give people opportunities um to 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 help that along and the, the other thing is too is if you're an amateur photographer filmmaker writer um Sure, maybe you'll submit stuff to us, and trust me, there's people that submit stuff to us that doesn't get accept all the, accepted all the time. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. You know, there's there is certainly a, a, a bar that we set um, that we have to achieve, um, but that doesn't mean that if you submit something and we don't take it, that you can't say to us, "Hey, how do I get better at this?" How do I take better photos? How do I make better films? How do I become a better writer? You know, like, like I'll give you a perfect example with, with writing. Um, you know, grammatically, if you read anything that's been unedited that I've written, it's it's an absolute train wreck. When I was in school, I had to go to special education classes for writing. But yet, I'm a published author. Yes, sir. I write a lot of content for Project Upland, for Morning Thunder, for Northwest Collective and whatnot. And, and, and it just takes just do it and do it and do it and do it and and follow through, follow through is so important, you know, if if there's one success of Project Upland, it's follow through, we continued it, we followed it through and we continue to follow through, complete projects even if it's not the best project still finish it, because you're going to learn something that's going to make the next one better I'll tell you right now I have films that I've made three years ago that I absolutely love and I have films that I've made two months ago that I hate. You know, like, it's, it's an evolving experience and, and with art and that's what filmmaking is and that's what people should remember. Filmmaking, photography, it's all in art. There's, and sometimes, and you should know this, you're an art teacher. Yes, sir. Sometimes you just can't teach art. Yes, sir. And you can, you cannot go into a classroom and I can tell, like, this is what it gets down to. You can put me in a room with somebody who is te- classically technically trained on film equipment, and I will tell you that he knows a million times more things than I do. The difference is, is that you cannot give somebody an artistic eye, and, hey, and hey. the artistic eye is always evolving. Let me so let me let, today, let me
0: stop you right there, AJ, because you are yeah. creeping into my territory now. Let me stop you right there, and let me <laughs> add on to what you're saying. I'm I'm fueled up. I'm 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 here with it now. <laughs> you know your creative eye. Sir, when when folks say we are made in the image of God, we are made in the image of God in terms of you have a creative eye that I, sir, cannot teach you. I cannot teach you that. I can teach you how to do it. I can expose you to the elements. But at the end of the day, that was Ruger, at the end of the day, I'm I'm looking for what you have to offer. As a creative individual, I'm looking for your perspective. I sir cannot teach you your perspective.
1: Yep. That's it. That's what it comes down to. And you know what? It's like we've said in dog training there's 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 not, you know, one way's not the right way. Yep. Um, you know, part you know, this is going to sound really funny and maybe a bit corny, but um the reason why all of our film titles are followed with a Project Upland original film mm-hmm. is that I'm not looking to be the sole Upland filmmaker. I'm interested in being the Netflix of Upland films. Wow! And so that means that I am known, my platform, so I shouldn't even say me, because Project Upland is a lot of people. Project Upland is known for hunting talent down and being an incubator for, for for pushing, you know, pushing the edge, you know, finding the next thing, like like that's what we want to be. So so we want it to be a badge of honor. We want filmmakers to aspire to have that Project Upland original film after one of their film titles. Yes, sir. And and that and that's a very important vision to think about because you know what, the way I make a, make a film is different than the way the next person makes mm-hmm. a film. Uh, you, you know, a, a great example, Nathaniel Maddox. Unbelievably talented filmmaker. And, and I'm going to tell one of the most candid things ever. And I've told him this before. Nathaniel Maddox made the award winning film The Disease, um, which is about um, uh, Redbeard, a famous um, turkey hunter, makes turkey calls. We have a second film coming up, a follow up by Nathaniel Maddox in Morning Thunder called No Cure. Okay. Uh, so he is actually, I think he's from Georgia. Um, so.
0: you um, good folks then. How about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Red Beard is from Georgia. So um, anyways, um, when I saw Nathaniel's films, Nathaniel's films inspired me to involve the way I make films. I looked at his films and I was inspired, just like any artist would be inspired by another, you know, artist that came before them and whatnot. And now I look at my films and I look at Nathaniel's films and our films really aren't the same anymore. I feel like at a point I was trying to maybe mimic his films or or be like his films, but now our films are drastically different. My taste has changed. I'm sure his taste changed. He's an evolving artist too, you know. So so mm-hmm. that's all part of this process. And the, and the way that he looks at a film, the way he tackles a film, is going to be different than the way I tackle a film, or different than the way Andrea tackles a film out in Italy, yep. um, or different than the way Will tackled the film uh, fetching uh, the fetching feathers film. Uh, Revel in the first with Anthony. Um, they're all different approaches. They're different takes on it. They're different. People see different things when they go out there. They they, they feel a different story, you know. So so that's that's what we're trying to achieve. We're we're you know if you, if you want to give a mission statement of Project Upland, you know we're trying to do a few things. Our, our first and foremost mission is to secure a future that upland hunting has a place in. Okay. That's our first and foremost, mission. Our next mission is to give the tools to the people that come through this community and have the have the ability to connect with the community, to learn, to expand, and to be able to use as an incubator to become better at training a dog or hunting birds or learning about habitat or helping in conservation movements or whatever it might be. We are a conduit to put you into the nonprofit you should be involved in or the state agency that you need to connect with or the information that you might need to make yourself a better hunter or a better dog trainer. That That's the second mission. And the third mission. Hey, go ahead and, Y'all
0: ahead and keep preaching now. Go ahead and keep preaching. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> and then the art of our community is, is you know, that final thing. And the art of our community is, is you know, again, to bring up the next big filmmaker, to bring up the next writer, um, to, to find the next good photographer, to find the next good artist. Um, that's what we're here for. Um, and that is a community mission. This is all a community mission. Um, and I want people to be engaged in that. And I want people to know that you're part of it. When you comment on things, when you engage in our content, you're helping me when I go through there as a creative director to see what is happening, to see what we're responding to, and we're evolving as, as a community,
0: so. Yes, sir. And
1: yeah. thank you for everybody that keeps participating in that.
0: <laughs> man, AJ, yo, I'm pumped up, man. I'm not even sitting down. I'm pumped up. I'm walking around my, my kitchen in the living room recording you and all kinds of stuff. Yo, let me calm myself down. AJ, Mr. DeRosa. You have literally for the last 30 minutes to an hour have not been spitting nothing but truth, nothing but I mean like ah, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but man, you you're on that level, put it that way. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying not to say nothing that's gonna offend nobody on this podcast. But I'm 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 geeked up because <laughs> AJ, we Kendra Spears, my brother, and on this podcast, man, like I, you you do realize I'm about to blow your whole text message up and get on your nerves about some training dogs, right? <laughs>
1: well, I would I wouldn't say that I'm always the best uh, direct resource for dog training. I mean, I I, I think I told you I, I'm I. Um, I train with Dave Train, the national president of NAPD. He lives about a half hour from my house, mm-hmm. and um, so I'm in good hands often. Um, and I have a Rolodex that has some unbelievable dog trainers to call to troubleshoot. So, in that capacity, I could probably give people great advice, but it's not based on necessarily something that I've come up with. I guess is the disclaimer. So, um, yeah. but I, I try it all. I try to try it all, and um, yeah. Yo, it's, it's, it's an evolution
0: man yo it's it's not even about all that AJ like yo I'm gonna declare this man like you sir are an influence you sir are a pioneer you sir are a pioneer let me say that let me let me you can go ahead and own that you can go ahead and claim that because nothing that you said has not been gold brother Nothing that you have said in the last hour and 38 minutes that we've been recording has not been gold. AJ, yo. I I owe you a visit. I owe you a quail hunt. However, that hell, however the hell it happens, I owe you. Because you are the next generation, man, and you are what folks are looking for. Seriously. Nothing that I've heard has been anything outside of the realm of passion. It's not been outside of the realm, the realm of ethics, bro. Like you get it. You get it, sir. You get it. You get it. You get it. And God damn it. I'm gonna look at probably, uh, uh, project Upland Lord. I'm getting my, I'm countries all get out. So I get my words mixed up, but you, sir. You get it. and
1: Well, <laughs> thank you. well. I hope you know you get it too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this ain't about me right now, man. This is about you. And what I want to do is conclude by saying like, I'm number one going to make sure that I get you that article this week. Um, I actually been kind of writing it out and having my fiance, um, you know, proofread it and things like that. And I want to make sure I give you something quality because I do feel like I have a, um, I mean, you noted it. I have an interesting perspective on teaching dogs as it relates to my professional practice. But at the same, you know, but at the same time, man, like, yo, we are the next generation, AJ. And I want to thank you for everything you're doing. I've been a Project Upland fan since... I mean, literally since day one. Like, I didn't know what you were doing. I just like watching the videos, you know? But to come to find out how how secure you are and how passionate you are with your creative ability, yo, that that dare just set this podcast off 10,000 times, man. And, well,
1: I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me on. And, um, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm truly humbled when, when anybody... Um, feels a connection with Project Upland or anybody feels like it's had any influence or, or follows it and, uh, and whatnot and um, again I think, and I, and I will say the most candid statement, I am not the best Upland filmmaker, I am not the best Upland photographer, I'm certainly not the best Upland writer, um, but I am committed to being the person that finds those people Yes, sir. Um and, and my work might have started that path. I might have put the first bricks on that road. Um but my my like that's just it. I'm facilitating building the road now. Um and yes, and, and I, I want the greater community to understand that um you know that this is about this is about something that's bigger than me. It's about something that's bigger than all of us and, and, and most importantly it's that one thing is that there needs to be a future with hunting in it so hunting is one piece of that puzzle you know and that's and that's what we're here talking about but it's an important piece of that puzzle and we should be passionate about that because someday you know we're going to have grandchildren um you know that are going to look back and and they're going to challenge what we did here today um you know whether we were on you know the side of saving it or not saving it we very well could fail we don't know where the future is but you know, as I say, I as I say it all the time when I talk about R three, I will not go quietly into the night. There is just it's not going to happen.
2: Yes, sir. <laughs> like, no,
0: hey,
1: you know, and, and, and we owe that to, we owe that to future generations. We owe it to the, the kids that aren't born yet, the people that haven't inherited what we've created. Uh, we owe that to them. Yes, like, sir. like that's that that's that's there, and it comes down to kind of that statement of that famous statement. You know, we don't inherit the earth um you know that our children don't inherit the earth from us um we borrow it from them and 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 that's 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 even a thing about our culture um we're we're it's, it's, we should think about that what we leave here today we're borrowing from our children so if we destroy it we have nobody but ourselves to blame
0: yes sir so. um yo i don't <laughs> damn yo i could talk to you for another whole two hours let, let me.
2: Well,
1: let yeah, me. my number
0: now, so we don't need to be on a podcast. Yeah, you're right. You're now my friend. So, um, sorry, AJ, I'm gonna bother you. So, um, let me, let me, let me say this and go ahead and declare this on the podcast. I'm going to be someone that implements R three. I am recruit, retain, reactivate. Correct. Yep. I want to make sure that I do my part in that um, and I, I think I've already by nature been doing that but AJ like hey, yo I'm more inspired than ever if I already wasn't this needs to happen so let me know how you know through text if you get an idea if something pops up in your mind every you know whenever and you just feel like hitting me up yes Ruger R3 is good so yeah yeah
1: and and to also kind of let the greater community know is that R3 is a, is a real initiative in the country. It's not a term I made up. Um, and depending on when this podcast comes up, this might be a major spoiler, um, but um, the council to advance uh, hunting and shooting sports um, is having a national, the national R3 symposium in Nebraska this May. It's um, the collaboration of all sorts of commercial brands um, the 50 states um, the federal government um, you know all sorts of, of, of companies whether it's gun makers and, and what not um, that are coming together um, so it's, it's an industry event but it's about the discussion of R3 and the future of hunting in the United States and how to proactively solve the problem as an, as a, as an entire industry um, all the way from non to government agencies to for-profit commercial brands um, and um, Northwest Collective Project Upland is going to be there. Uh, We're a gold sponsor for the event which hasn't been announced yet um, and we will actually be speaking at the event uh, specifically myself um, on R3 and talking about the success of Project Upland which has a 30% um, first generation hunting following which as we understand right now, as far as we know, is the highest recorded um, first-generation hunter following in any platform, Um, as well as we have a 20% female following, um, a 60% um, non-rural community following, um, as well as some very progressive age demographics. Um, So we're speaking at that event to specifically bring to life for many of these agencies how we're going to solve this problem in the future. And this is an entire um, initiative in the entire country that's even supported by the U.S. government. The government's dumping money into it um, to help solve this problem because this fight is not about saving hunting as much as it is about saving conservation. It's about saving the future of habitat. It's about saving species that we all love. Um, It's about the fact that I always say... um, Grouse hunters are probably the only people that care about those drummers in the woods. Yes, sir. Um, and that's a harsh reality. And yes, because sir. of that, we are obligated to fight for
2: it. Whoa. AJ,
0: you got one more on your team, brother. You got <laughs> one more on your team. And um, my last comments I want to be like you when I grow up. I Don't want to I, I be like you when I grow up, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, when I tell you I'm so ready to, like, just get up and be about the initiative, I'm here, man. And like I said, you you know, I, now I'm going to bug you about stuff. But I want to be an active, integral part of what we have going on, man, because I think the synopsis of this whole podcast, before we get off, is, yo, we have to continue sustaining the future. And what was done in the past, it was great. It was good. I'm sorry. It was good. But our future will be great, brother. Like, our future is literally going to set this thing so much far forward. And, you know, it's folks like you... It's folks like Nick Larson. I hope it's folks like me to be humble about it. It's folks like Lili Milner. It's folks like Jerry and Prevento. Bruh, we're the ones that are literally going to keep this this, uh, tradition going. And we have to be stewards of that shit, man. We literally have to be stewards of it and honor it. So, AJ... You know, Yo, that, if, if, you know, if, if you ever get a chance to, to check to your stats.
1: On, on that thing, just
0: real quick. It,
1: go ahead. This is an important thing to remember, and I don't want to go too far down the R3 rabbit hole because I can be good at that. Go ahead. Um, one of the most important points is being a, a creative agency, a media agency. Um, that's what Northwoods Collective is. Um, this is one of the most important things that we need to start the process of R3 and to understand it is that this is not about hunters appealing to hunters. This is your kid. When we launch a film, when project upland releases a film, I'm competing against the next star Wars trailer. I'm competing against mainstream society. Our work, the bar we have to set has to be so good that we inspire people to engage in what we do. That is what marketing is. That's what iconic branding is. That's what lifestyle branding is. So, so the important thing to remember in this is that you're not competing. Like this is not a competition about being the, the best hunting show, the best um, hunting website, the best hunting podcast, whatever it might be. It is literally that we have to present ourselves as a culture just as inspiringly as addictively as, as fanatically followingly as a Star Wars film or as Harry Potter or, or, yes, or as whatever the next big fad is we need to be accepted in mainstream society and that is a huge huge undertaking um, and it is it is a long and difficult road for us to get there but but it is happening and we can do it but that is something that people need to remember that this is about um, this is not about people telling the world hey if it wasn't for hunters we wouldn't have conservation this is about us becoming part of the bigger society it is not society complying with us it's us complying with society yes, um, and, and that's that's profoundly important to know to understand is that this is about us becoming part of the bigger society so that we can live in a future where we're a normal part of society. Yes, sir. And it's very important.
0: Yes, sir. Man, yo, I I want to just conclude on that, man, because there's nothing else that really needs to be said in terms of, you know, the whole point of this podcast. So, <laughs> AJ I'm going to make it a mission and an integral part of the Gundog Notebook to be sure that we help you out with any particular initiative that you need but also just to take on that initiative um on myself and Ruger's going to do it he just barked. <laughs> and I'm going to call that consent. But um AJ like Bruh, if nobody's ever told you this before, sir, you, were, you sir, are a pioneer and own that because there is, there's nothing else. You know, I don't think I've ever recorded a podcast with the type of passion for the future, um, and that's not to discredit anybody else that I've recorded with, but like we've really been on that this whole time. And I really want to honor that, man. And so it's folks like you that's going to keep, you know, my grandkids in it. They're going to keep your grandkids in it and their friends and things like that. So, yo, like, AJ, Mr. DeRosa, like, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for
1: having me on, man. I I appreciate it. I'm glad that Jerry kind of gave me the shout-out for that. Um, Jerry, I – Recently got uh, got cover of uh, last issue of Your Eyes, hell is a yeah, I already phenomenal got. Phenomenal magazine, and um, me and Jerry have been going to the same banquet up in New York for a few years. Um, great chapter of uh, Rough Grouse Society. So Jerry's a great guy, and, and his work has really evolved, and um, I think that's unbelievable um, that he got that. It's incredible a um, hell of an honor um, yeah, man. <laughs> nobody uses Project Upland uh, photos for front covers so. <laughs> hey, well it's,
0: it's there now and it's definitely owned man like Jerry deserved every bit of that and you sir you do too well thank you and hey again thanks Jerry if you're listening for
1: <laughs> pointing point me into this and, and I'm glad it's connected and I'm glad uh, we got to talk and certainly uh, by all means harass us and uh, I'm looking forward to see your writing come out. Um, I think you got some great, interesting perspective. Um, and I honestly think that you can be a phenomenal role model for the community or you are being a phenomenal role model for the community. So, um, you know, continue, continue on that path. Uh, all of it matters.
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. My, man, thank you again for that. And yo, we going to wrap up the podcast on that note, man. Like, <laughs> that I mean, just for the listeners, man. Like that was AJ Derosa. Like that is AJ Derosa. Like I don't, I, bro. I'm ready to run out and put some lights in my backyard and get this dog running. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm amped up. <laughs> oh, no, my gr- Grim's ready
1: to go training, and it's ten o'clock at
0: night. <laughs> right. Well, man, AJ, yo, I appreciate it, brother. And I want to go ahead and wrap this up. This is the Gundog Notebook. This is a new episode. And that was, is, was, and currently and always will be AJ DeRosa. Um, And we're going to go ahead and wrap that on up, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, guys. That's the end of the podcast. That's AJ DeRosa from Project Upland. Um, That is projectupland.com. Uh, spelled just like it sounds. And <laughs> that's where I get all of my content. That's one of the first places I go to. So, guys, go ahead and go check that out. Be on the lookout for some films. Um, the Project Upland podcast, hosted by Nick Larson, is also available on um, iTunes. That's where I listen to them at. And again, you know, you got your website, and there's a whole bunch of links and information there. Um, Guys, I got to keep this going, and it's it's been going great thanks to my uh, listeners, thanks to my guests, thanks to my Patreon subscribers. I mean, this is really, really, really taking a, a, a swing in the right direction. All right, so that's the end of the podcast. That's episode 20, guys. This will be posted very, very soon. Check out my Facebook page. Check out the uh, Instagram page. It's all the Gun Dog Notebook.
2: And uh, we'll move on from there, guys. Y'all have a good one.